In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, presented by Betches Media. This is an exploration of all pop culture, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. We're looking at you, Tom Sandoval. Folks, welcome to another supersized episode of So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey. This is your pal Ryan, and this is your Tuesday episode, and what a good episode this is, folks. We're going to start right off because not only do we have our next guest, but I do a full, and I mean 20 minutes longer than the actual podcast itself, I do a full recap of Raquel, or the artist formerly known as Raquel, Rachel Levis from Vanderpump Rules. Uh, Her first episode of her podcast, Rachel Goes Rogue, came out, and I give you an entire recap of that entire podcast. And I think it is actually really, really interesting to talk about. So I hope you dig it, but let's get right into this. If you like this podcast, remember to leave it five stars on Apple podcasts and Spotify. How the heck are you doing, by the way? Uh, I hope you're great, but I'm going to start right into the guest because this is already a pretty long podcast and I am just so proud of everything. So we have from Married to Medicine, our second cast member from Married to Medicine. You know, I am a new devotee to Married to Medicine. It is an excellent show. You need to catch up on on this season. You can do all of that on Peacock, but without further ado, the woman, the myth, the legend, Toya Bush Harris. Folks, welcome back to So Bad It's Good, presented by Betches Media. We have somebody that is so good it's great as a guest today. She is one of the stars of what some people call the best show on Bravo for the last 10 seasons. She is a (laughs) wife to Dr. Eugene, a mother to two sons, an author, an actress, and now she even has her own wine club. That's right, the Toya Wine Collection. She is known for her fierce loyalty and friendship and will never back down from what she thinks is right. She is the star of Married to Medicine airing on Bravo. Bravo every Sunday. You can catch all the previous seasons on Peacock. The one, the only Toya Bush Harris. Toya, Happy New Year. Honey, Happy New Year. Can you can you save that and send that to me? I'm just gonna put it whenever somebody calls. Yeah, that could be your ringtone. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. We'll at the resurrection, we'll play that when uh, anybody's jumping out of a casket. Um man, <laughs> how 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 the heck are you? I, I gotta tell you and admit to you. I am a recent devotee to Married to Medicine. This is a show that all of my friends said I needed to be watching. And for some reason, I would always start it and then something would happen and put it aside. And this season, I finally got into it and it clicked for me. I I mean, there are now episodes where I will laugh out loud, but I will also have my mouth aghast like that scene with the resurrection with Quad. I mean, can you imagine that you've been doing this for 10 seasons now? You know, it's funny because when people meet me, they're like, you're on TV. <laughs> and then there's, other, <laughs> then there's other people who laugh. Like I went to a party and I was like, I'm Toya. And it was like, we know who you are. Oh, yeah. Who you are. And I'm like, they do? <laughs> oh, I, I told people I was talking to you and they were freaking out. Like, it's, it's you really I, are 
this celebrity of like kind of this stature almost that people respect on top of like your show is so different than the other shows on Bravo because you have like paved the way for a great dialogue in terms of medicine, but also a female friendship. Um, yeah. And I have to say these past couple of episodes uh, the focus kind of has been, of course, on your new wine club, which I want to talk about because you're coming yes. off the Sonoma trip, um, but also of the past friendship with Quad. And I have to say, it's been this really interesting thing of watching you ladies try to listen to what she's saying, but at the same time realize standing up for yourself and that she's not taking accountability. Do you watch these episodes back when they air? You know, it's a... Gosh, okay. So I have been watching episodes since season one within the last year. I've just been studying myself and studying uh, my castmates a little bit. And I think that's important. I think it's important because everyone, like you said, you might be new to our yeah. show. But the reality is no one wants to see the same individual. We want to see the people evolve. You know, when yeah. you look back on like, uh, you know, things like General Hospital. You know, you always have that same villain, you know, that's yeah. Sonny Corinthos and Erica Kane, but they evolve and then they have children and then they children become the villain. And I think that's where we are on the show. We want to evolve as individuals, but we want to show the viewers that we do have a genuine connection and that we actually are very authentic in what we're showing you in our lives. That's why I'm not sitting in an office. I'm sitting in my living room because the reality is this is where it all takes place. You know? Yeah. I think, I think it's important for people to realize that, that, that every last person on this show we work really hard to maintain our relationships outside of the television. So. And that reads on the episodes because sometimes with other housewives iterations or things like that, it feels like they're getting to know each other while they're filming. And when yeah. I'm watching this season, I can tell that there is deep history with you ladies. And even I watched last night's episode and then I watched Phaedra Parks's live, which was, <laughs> by the way, you guys, it's on Phaedra's Instagram and, Toya did it from her bed. And at one point she crawls under the covers. <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. I, like, <laughs> I really thought we were about to have a, a nice, calm lie. I thought, <laughs> I thought we were about to show that Alicia actually has a voice. I thought that Tisha was going to, you know, try to work things out with Heavenly in a small way because we have the reunion coming soon. So I oh, was no. Like, Hey, they're not going to come on here, really. Heavily came on, like, look, did somebody summon me? Because I'm about to bet. I was like, no. I mean, in Sonoma, you said at the dinner table, you said one of the best parts of the trip were the three new people that were there able to join, including Sweet Tea and yeah. Phaedra and things of that nature. Do you still believe that? Do you still believe that Sweet Tea is a great addition to this group? Because last night between Sweet Tea and Dr. Heavenly, it really was World War Three, and you were jumping under the covers. And I think the audience feels that as well. How do you feel about the additions this season? You know, I love all new faces. I do. I And I love new faces because I live in Atlanta where we happen to have a ton of black African-American physicians or people in the medical industry, you know, nurses, doctors, and they all have a story to tell. So I do love that. I love I love bringing that on our show. But what I don't like 
is when we over talk each other. I, I feel like I meant it last night when I said, hey, I was watching The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> they, they, honey, they was going in at that table. Dorit and, and I said, oh, does that, because that was, she was like, but it was, no, nobody raised their voice. You know what I'm saying? They just were very strategic. Yeah, you brought that up. You brought that up, that I they don't that. argue this way. Because we've got to get to a place where we're not over-talking each other. Because really and truly, I, I couldn't hear. I was sitting here like, wait, <laughs> did she just say her mama is dead? <laughs> her mama dead and what? Oh, my God. Yeah, they much. got into moms. They yes, were throwing moms much. into the mix. It was yes. wild. And, I did, and, and, so, and, and so that there's no misunderstanding. I think it's important that we allow each other to have a voice. So Andy has a tough job coming up, okay? Because he's going to have to shut it down. Because there are some relationships on here that have been scarred. And some are not repairable. So I think we are, we will be at a place where it's gonna, there's going to be some heated discussion. But it has to be controlled. You know? Do you get nervous going into situations like that, say a reunion when you have to look back on the past, when you seem like a person that you say you are constantly evolving? Is it really hard in those situations to have to relitigate past situations or past friendships? I think the good part about the reunion is you have an opportunity to clarify a lot of things that weren't shown. You also have an opportunity to really make sure your voice is heard at the reunion. Is it very, is it nervous and nerve wracking? Absolutely. Because we're, we're literally sitting on a couch for eight, sometimes 10 hours. Okay. Yeah. And I think that it gets to a place where, you know, you just, you look back over the season and you're like, I don't think I was really understood. And yeah. so for me, after 10 years, I'm not as nervous, but I am better prepared. Yeah, I feel like you you were able to now stand more in your power and in your light. And there is this kind of uh, um, power that you possess that I think comes off on screen that I notice that I think is really, really interesting and fascinating to watch. Um, Dr. Eugene, your husband, could you rate him as a hairstylist? <laughs> <laughs> he, he had a headlight on. He had a literal headlight on his hair, his head to do your hair. All I can say is that Eugene takes everything very seriously. Everything. <laughs> everything from our marriage, our sex life, his job, <laughs> being an ER doctor, to even helping his wife take out her weave. It is. <laughs> he's very he's no, very it was great. Um, one of the best things about your show, and I was uh, I had uh, was lucky to talk to uh, Dr. Simone previously, and you are able to actually bring to light a lot of issues that African American women face in uh, the medical community and with their own health care and autonomy. And Sweet Tea speaks to this as well in trying to get pregnant pregnant with her pregnancy journey. Um, has that been just like a silver lining for you as well to be part of a show that you can go off, you can have fights, you can have real relationships, but at the end of the day. You really are bringing crucial knowledge and awareness to things that a lot of the general public don't know about. Absolutely. I mean, do you know how how important it was for me to share when I lost my child? Because I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I would have never thought at my age that that was something that was going to happen. And then to watch my family deal with it, to um, watch us, you know, build an amazing home and then move and then see the public say, really? You're not appreciative of that. And I was like, yeah, I, I love it. I'm, I'm appreciative of every blessing. But you're a real you person. Know? But I'm a real person. And I, and I don't want to 
lie to them and say that I'm not always striving and looking for something even better. I am. I, I very rarely get comfortable. I very rarely get comfortable on our show because I'm like, look, what's next? Come on, Tisha, what you got to bring? Alicia, well, you know, what y'all going to say? You know, I, I mean, it's, it's not a competition. You know, it's, it's it, this is what we're here for to well, bring everybody's that- story. I mean, really, and you guys do that brilliantly, but even in your story this season, you're up at Sonoma meeting with Kendall Jackson. Wine has always been a complete passion of yours. And I I thought you saw a little bit of a hesitancy with Quad potentially coming on this trip of like, listen, this is a big opportunity. I want us to be at our best right now. And sometimes having reality show cameras can upset that that flow that you're looking to get. Um, But it turned out amazing. But can you speak to your passion for wine and explain a little bit about Toya's Wine Club because I went on and you guys are going to put this in my show notes, but you can go to yourwinestore.com and check out all of these current selections. There is an actual wine club that I am going to sign up for that actually is really cool if you start looking into. Explain where you got your, how you got into wine. Okay. So, you know, it started actually long before when me and Eugene started dating. You know, I was literally, I was getting my master's degree and I decided to work for Roof Chris on the side. Oh, Steakhouse, yeah. Mm -hmm. Roof Chris Steakhouse and Morton's, by the way, so two. And when I was working for those steakhouses, we had to sell wine to the tables. And for the longest time, I was like, who's going to spend $200 on a bottle of wine, (laughs) you know, to get four glasses? (laughs) (laughs) And then we started doing tastings. And I was like, wow, I do see how they complement the, the dish. I do see how they make for a very um, educated, you know, a, a very, it just it, the look of it was very, you know, sleek and chic. And you just, you get to a place where it becomes, it became a compliment to my life. So when I went out with Eugene on our first date, I was like, I want to order a bottle of wine. And he was like, sure. Credit card was not having it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He was like two buck Chuck from Trader Joe's is what I can get right now. Yeah. But when I tell you after that, he made it his mission for us to go to wineries. And we just started going to Michigan wineries, Napa Valley, Sonoma. And and it became something that me and him, you know, developed a passion for together. We started hosting wine tastings at our house. And so when people came over to Toya and Eugene's house, they knew that they may start with a cocktail, but that they were going to end with some great wine. And so when the when the opportunity came to me by two amazing people, Michael and Toya, they both were like, Toya, we think we met your we met a fit for you. That is, a, you know, that we got to introduce you. And when they introduced me to Kendall Jackson, I'm telling you, it was like we were kismic. We were we were right in line with what what I wanted for myself. I wasn't at a place yet where I wanted to develop my own wine because really and truly I'm, I, I have so many other uh, you know things yeah. that I would develop, whether it be a wine glass, whether it be a decanter, diffuser. You, you have a try. By the way, is it true you have a decanter that you travel with? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, and because I take my wine very seriously, and I, and that's the thing about the collection. They need to understand that I am literally putting my stamp on it. You know, I'm like, look, I'm not. I don't want anything under my collection that I haven't tasted first and approved. Because I feel like if you really want me to choose wine for the people like myself and people that are actually new to it or maybe not new to it, I need to make sure they understand what they're getting into, especially when they're coming to spending a certain amount of money. 
because I have some very expensive wine bottles on there and I have some very in the middle and I have some for the lower end. But the ones that are up there, baby, they're worth it. Yeah, like right now I'm looking at a Russian River Valley Pinot Noir, an Alexander mm -hmm. Valley Chardonnay, an Oregon mm -hmm. Syrah. Those Look are the ones that, that I'm Cardinal. seeing right now. That Cardinal, <laughs> that Cardinal, I know it's $350, but it's something you put on the shelf. And baby, it is delicious. Folks, summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Now, I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily, I found Quince. Now, I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got a pair of tan shorts. I got a pair of green shorts. I cannot wait to style these for summer. And I got to tell you, the quality is great because Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from 30 performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. That is what you take out. I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you take it out every day. But for me, <laughs> no, I don't. Well, yeah. for me, I would take it out on a, on a Christmas dinner. It will complement every dish on that table, from the dressing to the to the ham to the turkey. It's just gonna bring out the flavor in it. I mean, so there's so many different choices on there. All the Chardonnays are not dry at all. And I know people like to use that word dry, but really, it's not about being dry. It's about whether or not their palate is experienced. And, and I think yeah. that's a great starter. All the Chardonnays. Now, if you could relate any of these wines to your cast members, what what is like Doctor Heavenly? What kind of wine is Doctor Heavenly to you? <laughs> that that Syrah on there. <laughs> <laughs> and why the Syrah? <laughs> because Syrah can be it can be very spicy. And, uh, and to some people, they'll say, "Oh my God!" It's, <laughs> and that's how kind of how Heavenly could come across like. <laughs> But once you get to know her and you've drank a lot more of it, you get used to it. And you almost I love get that. appreciated. So that's okay, now <laughs> let me throw a tough one at you. What about okay. Quad? What about Quad? Somebody that's trying to get back in the group. We've had a lot of issues over the seasons that we've seen. Where? What kind of wine is Quad right now? Stone Mountain. <laughs> well, the, the title stone, is very Stone apt? Street. Yeah. There's there's a there's a nice Chardonnay on there called Stone Street. That is the street she's on. She's on a rock all by herself. <laughs> is there a wine called Island? Yeah, like that's why. Stone Street. Okay. 
<laughs> and then and then uh, the newer cast member sweet tea we saw her uh drinking uh crown royal last night now she is developing her palate what kind of wine is sweet tea at this point is she a moscato she's she's very good with the brute down at the bottom the brute uh it's, it's a little sparkle to it you know everyone will drink it you know from children to to older men you know, everyone loves it. A, little, a good old brute. You know, even if they have to mix a little champagne, a little fruit juice in there with it. But they love a good old brute. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love this because you're passionate about it. And actually what I think is so great about life is people sharing their knowledge and putting us in the right direction. And actually we're able to acquire an appreciation for something new. And I think that's so cool about your wine club um, that you're actually able to do what you're passionate about and kind of turn us on to things that we might like that we don't know about, which is also this show, you guys, Married to Medicine. I'm telling you, you might not have watched this show yet and you have to. Did you know your last episode got the highest ratings of the season for your show and you are now killing it in the rating so much. And I think so many new people are discovering it myself included that they can then go back on Peacock and catch up. And it's like watching prequels to understand where the relationships are now. Um, Dr. Eugene, your husband in season eight, you guys uh, shared therapy on the show. How Mm -hmm. hard is it for you to actually share your real relationship? And have there been times that that's caused issues in your relationship about being so open? I, I love you. Let me tell you something about my husband. He is such a game player trooper, honey. He, you know, I remember the time I, I said on show, on our show, that he uh, was in the basement with Vaseline <laughs> doing what men do. <laughs> and he was like, could you? <laughs> well, but last night you said something wild about your husband that I'm not going to repeat you know, here. But, but he took it like a champ and he was like, hey, it helps men live longer. And <laughs> he's a doctor. He knows these and things. That's, but that's how he's always been. Like we have, when, we, when we decided to come on the show, we both decided that we were going to be as honest as possible and really show the world that we are not perfect. Uh, and that we, we're not that perfect family that when you come in, you have two beautiful kids, even though we do, but we have issues just like everyone else. And honestly, that's what I want to see on TV. I miss the good, wholesome television where you can have a family and they have their crazy discussions about sex, you know, you know, with their kids and their kids are like, I want to talk about this right now, you know, or their first girlfriends, but it's good (laughs) TV, you know, and I call it, um, I call it TV for the soul. You know, and I I want that for us, for my family. I want us to be that family that shows that we can be funny, dramatic, but at the end of the day, we're still family. Are you making your kids watch Dr. Simone's journeys with her sons saying like, listen, this is that they're staying at the house, maybe potentially a little too long. I mean, it is wild to watch her sons that are a little older than your sons. And that is like the ghost of Christmas future for you, potentially. So mines are, well, the devil is a lie. Mines are 12 and 14, and they are not even thinking about staying at home. My 14-year-old <laughs> already stated that he wants to go to college in New York. And my son, my youngest son, he'll probably end up at an HBCU. And for his dad and his mother, no matter what they're doing, we're getting the hell out of here. We're going to Florida. We're going to buy some water. We're going to live our best life. So I don't know about them. But <laughs> That's amazing. Um, uh, okay, so... 
in the show itself, obviously the big thing, and maybe you can tease a little bit in future episodes about, because we saw the mid-season trailer for the rest of the season where Quad does come back. And I know I keep hitting this Quad relationship, but people are genuinely fascinating because Dr. Simone at your Sonoma trip said, listen, you're voted off the island. We'd actually like you to leave. We don't think that we can further this and it's not healthy for any of us. And it was really interesting to see Quad try to accept that. And also with the resurrection, which I think was just a big overall flop. Um, no offense to, to Quad, but it was just a flop and it was kind of potentially embarrassing a little bit. And you had a really uh, very realistic reaction where she was like, we can put it all in the past. And you're like, what are you what are you talking about? Like, can you speak to potentially what we might see in the future? Are we going to see a de-icing of the relationship with Quad and you ladies? Or is this something that is gone in a lot of ways? I think that everyone knows from the beginning of Toya's debut on television, she's always been her real authentic self. Good, bad, ugly. I think now, 10 years later, I am, I am at a place where... I evolved into this amazing individual that I think is a blessing from God. And I think that the people that are in my life are in my life because they're my cheerleader and my champion of where I'm going. Right. I don't think that quad is at a place where she's a champion for anyone but herself. And I think realistically, when she did the, you know, the casket scene, it showed that real that she she has no clue on how to mend fences, how to be authentically sorry and, and, and do it on camera and then be consistent off camera. I think when she came to Sonoma, uh, I actually had no clue that the ladies were going to ask her to leave. Because if you really look back, I was like, maybe this is an opportunity for her to mend fences in Napa outside of my business. I was like, never during my business, but outside of the business. But she never came with that mindset. And she knows that. And so I think when they decided that it was time for her to leave, it was a, we all had to band together and stand behind each other because we really believe that she doesn't want a relationship with us. Well, I mean, it's interesting from a viewing standpoint, the camera never lies. And I I swear to God, we can see like a little twinkle of maybe starting to realize what her stonewallness has done to her, that she's putting herself on this island. And a lot of that's to do with her. I could be wrong, but I hope that she realizes this a little bit because you can tell that she wants these relationships. She's just so proud to ever admit fault with anything. And that can always just come back to haunt you. And so, of course, I think we all want you guys to be together as a group, but we want you to do what's best for you overall. But it's just a wild thing to see for her to come back. I mean, for her to even go to Sweet Tea's bachelorette party was mind-blowing. Do you trust Phaedra Parks joining this guy? Do you trust her intentions because she's wily? I'm like, you said a mouthful. Okay. First off, I I would like to see what you saw when you saw the twinkle in Quad's eye. That she would really authentically want to be in this group of ladies, but not just because of a check. I would like to see that. I think we all would like to see that. But her actions have been very different outside of the camera and on camera than what she's portraying. Yeah. Okay? As it relates to Phaedra, I, I like that Phaedra has a ton of things going on, but she's decided to embrace all of us and get to know each individual individually. 
And now she is developing a relationship with us that even if they decide that she is not in the medical industry, you know, <laughs> she's not a good fit. She really and truly is a friend to all of us. And that's all we can ask. Yeah. I mean, she is actually making, you know, she made the, the statement of wanting to get to know each one of you individually and even apologizing for certain moments with quad and saying like, listen, I'm just trying to actually get to know everybody. Yeah. Um, I, I, I found that all very interesting. Uh, as we start winding down here, I wanted to talk about something you posted on your Instagram. You wrote yeah. at the end of 2023, December, declutter, detach and delete anything that devalues your life. Don't bring it yeah. into 2024. Can yeah. you speak to how you enter a new year? Uh, because I, I found that quote really uh, fascinating and kind of inspiring. Um, yeah. What does a new year mean to you? You know, a new year for me means that I have another opportunity to do better and to do it right. And it doesn't mean to go back and try to fix anything from the past. It just means to show a better version of yourself. And sometimes you have to detach from things you love, things that um, are not taking you to the next level. We don't have a lot of time on this earth. And I think that the time that we do have, we need to embrace it and we need to make the best of it. And so you have to declutter. You got to move stuff out your way so that you can do other things and make other things you know, more prominent in where you're going in life. And I think for me, I have some other endeavors that I would love to bring to the table. It's not just about, you know, Toya or Married to Medicine. It's not just about Toya's wine collection. You know, Toya has other, you know, I have things that I'm like, God is saying, it's time. Bring it to the What board. is on the 2024 wish list? What's on the vision board this year? Well, on my vision board is I definitely would like to sit down with some people from NBC and go over some other show ideas. You know, I think that it's time for Married to Medicine to have a spinoff. I think that it's time for um, Bravo to have some different type of television. And I think that I have some of the ideas that they might want to hear. Could you possibly give us one of those ideas? Because Not that kind all. of sounds, oh, come on. Okay, and, but Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, you admit to watching. Did you watch Real Housewives of Salt Lake City? Are you Heck, caught up? On Heck yes. Oh, my oh. God. First of all, I want to know who did the editing because, baby. We have some great editors, but I felt like I was in, I was in a movie theater. Oh I my god! Like, the the thunderstorm, <laughs> the lightning, the flashbacks, the flash forwards. I mean, it was wild. If you had a reality so bon tease on your like if, like burner accounts, reality bon tease, it was wild. How would you handle wild. that situation I with your it group? Was great, you know, because sometimes it can be a bit too much. But it honestly, it was amazing to watch, and especially for the finale. You know, oh, it just it made me say, "Oh God, okay, I can't wait for the reunion. I can't wait for the." I reunion. know. You I know? mean, that's and, what these shows do. Me, it also made me wonder too, because it all set up where it was like, "Do I like her?" <laughs> or do I? I, 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 did, I don't know. You know, I, I you know, I, I did. I don't know. She was a great addition. You know, yeah. to the group. So it's kind of like, I don't know, but I can't wait to see the reunion. You know, I can't wait to see what everybody, I hope that what she brings to the reunion is some humility and a little empathy and understands where the girls are coming from. And I think that would be a good jump start in her staying on the show. 
And we kind of hope of that of Quad, too, when she hits the reunion, when that films, we can hope the same of that. But you're right. Well, Salt we've Lake been City... hoping that for 10 years. So I, don't know. I don't know. Well, Salt Lake City <laughs> did hit it out of the park, and your show is hitting it out of the park as well. But thank, thank gosh we don't have an overarching mystery because I don't think my poor heart could handle it. And Ooh. finally, what is your best moment on this show? What are you the most proud of? And what are you the least proud of? I think the what I'm most proud of is showing my amazing family, showing that great children, my husband, and showing real life, authentic husband and wife and mommy opportunities. You know, that has been a blessing. I think um, I, I, I have a toss up too with finally evolving into having a business endeavor on the show. That's always a blessing as well. My worst was probably season one uh, because it was just a bad um, representation of who I am and, you know, what I bring to the table. But I think I've had 10 years to evolve and really show the people that that wasn't who I am. That's Um, what life's about. Even with the season to come, y'all haven't even touched the surface. There's so much more. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You can see that mid-season trailer. It looks wild. But I'm telling you also- so much more. What's so great about this show, folks, is that it's just the smaller moments, too. It's just the interactions. It's the way they speak with each other that you can tell there's real relationships. And I'm telling you, I started getting to the points where I'm laughing out loud with these ladies, the way they speak with each other that only comes with real relationships. So yeah. I really this is the highest recommendation for you guys to get into this show. Um, I'm truly she just teased the midseason. It's going to be great. And then you're going to have the reunion and then you can catch up on the previous nine seasons. Um, okay. So Toya's Wine Club, you can go to yourwinestore.com. We're going to put all that information in the show notes. I'll also put it on my Instagram stories as well. Yes. But it was a pleasure and an honor to talk to you, Toya Bush-Harris. I Thank really appreciate you. all of your time. Over. I'll send the link over to you as well for the wine collection. Okay, well, have a great start to your 2024. Okay. And thanks for making time for us. Thank you so much. Have a good day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, folks, let's uh, let's get to another main event here. And that is because at the beginning of the year, we have a new podcast that is gracing the airwaves, the podcasting airwaves. And of course, I am speaking of the artist formerly known as Raquel Levis, Rachel Levis. Her new podcast just premiered today on uh, Monday, and it is called Rachel Goes Rogue, Chapter One. Now, we have been, uh, not threatened, but we have been promised this podcast for a minute. Now, the origins of this podcast, just to take you through those, if you don't remember, was, uh, I guess, over the summer, she did the Bethany Frankel. You guys remember Bethany Frankel. She is doing her reality reckoning, and she scored the first sit-down interview with Rachel, and uh, I believe flew out to where Rachel was. And uh, they did a three episode interview. And I will say I did. I mean, I did recaps of line by line recaps of that entire podcast. So I'm going to say the good, the bad and the ugly of this podcast. And I'm going to try to be as nice as possible. And at the same time, give you my honest opinion and thoughts about this. Um, But we have to talk a little bit about the Bethany Frankel interview, because 
the Bethany Frankel interview, it seemed really self-serving on Bethany's part um, because, and the only reason I really truly now am fully think I'm right in that is that we get so much more information about Rachel's actually st- actual story from this first episode of Rachel Goes Rogue. The Bethany interview was littered with kind of things that Bethany wanted to get across in regards to her quote unquote war with Bravo, her reality reckoning. So we didn't get kind of these questions that we were curious about in regards to the story about her and Tom Sandoval, dude. You get the full story of our romance, dude. Oh, man, do we ever get that story? But it was frustrating because Bethany obviously was not a fan and was not a viewer of Vanderpump Rules. So that kind of flew out the window. So for us fans out there that were really paying attention to this story, it didn't really add a lot. And I think Rachel was done a great disservice in that. Now, Bethany Frankel is one of the producers on this. She is the person behind this podcast. So she's laughing all the way to the bank. But I also will say, and this is a positive thing for Rachel, this not yet is littered with ads. This isn't littered with ads. Like, remember Frankel's podcast? It was like every seven minutes they would break in with another commercial spot. This does not happen on Rachel Goes Rogue. So you have the standard, I think I counted like four commercial breaks, me, you know, with when I was listening. And, uh, you know, let's let's be real about this. This will probably in TV and film hit number one um, at some point in this next week, I would imagine. I, you know, I thought I thought there would actually be a little more uh, a little more talk about this today, but it also makes me think that we might be nearing, if not deeply in a Vanderpump exhaustion right now. Um, uh, so I think that might not help it at this point. Now, January 30th, of course, is the premiere of season 11 of Vanderpump Rules. So this is what January 8th. We're getting the first a- uh, episode of Rachel Goes Rogue. And that's kind of. If I were to divorce myself from being a huge fan of Vanderpump Rules and a huge fan of Ariana Maddox in particular, um, it's a really ingenious time to put this out there because it kind of undercuts what we're going to see in season 11 and also undercuts whatever redemption arc or story that Tom Sandoval is trying to put out there for himself with season 11. So in that sense, it's really interesting to get this side of it. Now. Overall thoughts on this podcast, you can tell, or at least from what I'm hearing, that she has put in a lot of work on herself. You can tell there is a lot of therapy speak in this. And so for that, my hat is off to her. Now, of course, then I have to put my hat a little bit back on because there is no need for this. I mean, this is obviously a financial opportunity for Rachel, which I'm sure she is in some deep debt with uh, the, you know, with the mental health uh, journey that she went on. That That is a very pricey journey, but I think it is paying dividends in terms of her own well-being, and you can hear that. But at the same time, it still puts her out there in that limelight, in that spotlight, and you're going to get those Daily Mail articles, those TMZ articles, and then that's going to kind of create this chain reaction in terms of the Vanderpump podcast. Uh, You know, Tom Sandoval is going to talk about it on his show, I'm sure, unless he has been given an edict, which I'm sure at this point he might be from the producers of Vanderpump Rules to shut your mouth at this point. 
Uh, if I was a producer on that show, I would say, shut your mouth. Do not come back with anything at this point. But I don't know if he's necessarily good at that. But you are in a premiere month and they've got probably a lot riding on this because Vanderpump Rules was such a huge hit in season 10. So, uh, you know, Rachel is saying a lot of information. Tom Sandoval is probably not going to be having a good week or a good couple of weeks or whatever, you know. It, it, it really is damning in a lot of ways. A lot of these things that we knew little pieces of, but she really puts these pieces of the puzzle together, or at least the start of that. And I do believe she is being completely honest in all of this because she does. She makes herself even look really bad at moments. She's being really completely honest. But my thing is, and I, I was talking about this a little bit in Gypsy Rose Blanchard's journey, and I'm not comparing Gypsy Rose to uh, Rachel, but. Uh, there is something scary about when you're putting yourself out for mass consumption consumption in the media and you then get all of us talking about it, good and bad. Then we make the memes about it. We take it and run with it. And unless you are really, really secure, it could potentially really take you off your mental health journey. It can spin you off or spiral you spiral you into another direction. Now, in the first episode, she even talks about really have, having built a thick skin already from filming Vanderpump Rules. But even a thicker skin going through all of the scandal. But it, it is that thing when she was talking with Bethany on those initial interviews, she talked about the idea of wanting to do a podcast potentially, but her podcast was going to be more mental health related. It was going to be geared towards that. Now, that obviously is completely out the window at this point. And we are now in a Vanderpump recap podcast. Um, and, you know, it's a piece of the puzzle that we obviously some of us want to hear. And she talks about not doing season 11 and why she is not doing that. But I also think if you are adjusted like this, I still am kind of having a hard time why she just didn't do season 11, even though she walks us through those steps, you know, you're going to do this, but you're not going to do that. And that's why I do think who let's see how this year goes. But I do think there is a possibility down the line in season 12 or onwards that she does come back. I think it really depends on how this all goes. But it's one of those things, I think, as a podcast listener, you listen to these things and you don't want to worry that the person hosting this could potentially completely break down. It could ruin all the work, the hard work that they put in on themselves. And for what? To get a couple of bucks to be out there in the media? You know, also, she's coming at it from like, I need to tell my side of the story, which is an important part of the story. And yes, it is. I'm just wondering if this is the avenue, if this is the right place and what's going to come because of this. Um, so these are all questions that will be answered, I'm sure, in the next couple of weeks. But the positive thing that I want to be positive with right off the bat is that she does seem to be telling her truth. She does seem to be speaking clearly. She does seem to be conflicted still with sharing this information. In fact, in the very beginning, she talks about that, you know, as of this weekend, they almost pulled the plug on the whole thing. Like she had therapists involved. She had this person involved, that person involved, and it almost didn't come to fruition at the very last minute. And that worries me is that if this is causing such mental strife, and I understand why it would, maybe now is not the time to do it. Maybe just trying to do it a couple of weeks before Vanderpump Rules, maybe your mental health is worth more than that of having it come out at the right time. Uh, the only thing I can relate it to is, 
the insanity I felt when mom passed away. And I was supposed to start with Betches. Literally, she passed away on a Friday. I was supposed to start with Betches on Monday. I was going to fly out to New York and I had everything ready to go. Like I, I was supposed to <clears throat> go out there. And I remember, um, you know, mom wasn't doing well, but we still shot. She had a couple months and my, you know, the people that had talked to me that week, uh, I remember Medeza and Sandra, I was on uh, texting with them and I was just like, you know, okay, I got to go. I got to start this. I got to, you know, feeling this kind of obligation, even though I wasn't being made to feel like that, but I felt like this internal obligation to do it. And I didn't want to let anybody down. But I wasn't really thinking clearly at that time at all. I just thought, oh, my God, I have to do this. I committed to this. Oh, my God, I didn't play. You know, like I, I knew this was coming, but I didn't know now. And it was very confusing and really kind of just this horrible mess I felt that I had gotten myself into. Um, and then obviously <laughs> she passed and everything worked out and Betches was amazing with it. Everybody was so amazing with it. And I was able to take that next three weeks and stay in Arizona and, and be with, uh, with my family and kind of get through that together and then get to a place where I could start. And probably even then I started too soon. And that's the only thing that's the only thing I worry about Rachel. And I know these are two completely different circumstances, but I'm trying to relate from that, that, uh, you know, if something tragic happening and something that's really, really bad and then being able to sit in that and how you feel, you know, like I'm still messed up from that. Like that's obviously never going to leave and it gets better here and there. But I just worry sometimes for somebody that is so fragile and somebody that seems like they truly are trying to figure out who they are. And that really is a noble journey. And she does admit, I mean, she did some really asshole things really as whole things that obviously Ariana does not owe her forgiveness, nor do I think she will be forgiven by Ariana, but it seems like she's making the right decisions for herself. I just worry overall, before we get into the recap of this, that this potentially could be a wrong decision. And if you aren't going to be doing that podcast that you initially thought about doing in regards to mental health, and you're doing it about Vanderpump rules, aren't you still making yourself relive that same trauma in negative ways because you're allowing us to be a part of it? You're still allowing us to take all of this, to make our memes, to make our Instagram posts, to dissect everything like I'm doing right now. And it takes that hard work away in some fashion. I could be completely wrong in this. And I hope for her sake that I am wrong in this. Um, but I do think like, oh, God, do we really need another person from the cast talking about Vanderpump Rules? And how long can this go? You know, the first episode actually did go by rather quickly. And I will admit, I was listening, <laughs> listening at 1.75 speed. Like I was trying to get through this thing, not because I was like bored with it, but I was just, there's only so many hours in a day. So I sped that up to 1.75. And listen, I've always joked about Rachel Raquel's voice of like, I am Rachel, what's going on? Because she even talks about it, that, you know, making speeches always was a really tough thing for her. We saw that journey for her. But I will say, and I don't know if it's just listening at 1.75 speed, she really was more on her voice. It seems like the more she settles in with who she is, the more she kind of digs into her actual speaking voice. But if you speed it up, it still does seem like it's at a normal pace. So I can tell she's really taking her time with these things. Another good thing about this podcast is that she has co-hosts or she has people that I don't know if they're producers, but they're in the studio with her. It's a couple of girls. And these, these people are godsends for this podcast because they're able to ask her questions that keep her talking. She's not 
able to kind of like retreat back inward and they actually ask some good questions. They actually get her talking about specifics about the actual story. But my worry is once this story is done, what then? Are you going to do a recap, a line by line recap like I do? Or are you going to do what are you going to do? Like, do we need Rachel doing that? Where does the podcast go from here? And that's the thing with any podcast, not just Rachel's. I always wonder about when I listen to new ones is that why are you doing this? Where do you see this going? You know, long term, where do you want this to go? And if your answer is just, well, I want to make money and I just want to be at the top and I just want it to be good. And I see people online doing it and they seem like they get a lot of attention. That's the wrong, the wrong reason to get into this because podcasting, I hate to break it to you, is not glamorous in any sort of way. Now, her people at iHeart, I'm sure, are giving her a really like special treatment right now for this format. She is a star. I'm just curious if she has what it takes long-term. And once she reveals the actual story, do we care what happens onwards? And that's something that's yet to be determined. I mean, it really is what she makes of it. But at the start, I will say I was surprised that I was able to listen to it as easy as I was. Like you heard me with those Bethany Frankel recaps. I thought that was dreadful. I thought it was dreadful. So this to me, was worlds better than that Bethany Frankel. I learned more about the actual story, which was what I was interested in in the first place from this way more than three parts of Bethany Frankel who put an ad every five minutes on her podcast. So that's a compliment right there. So let's get into this. She starts off with, you know, my name is Rachel Savannah Levis. Like, I was like, wait, are we going to introduce ourselves with our middle names every episode? Hi, I'm Ryan Kyler Bailey. So she starts off with this kind of opening salvo. And she's like, I've decided to create my own podcast to get my story out there. It's been a while since all of this stuff has gone down and I've been quiet this whole time. I know what I have to say is important. And it's been a scary decision deciding to do a podcast because I'm really opening the door up again for all this scrutiny and judgment. Yes, she's right. But the more I think about it, I feel like I'm almost obligated to myself to stand up for myself. I would rather speak my truth and share my story and be ridiculed for it than just sit idly by and watch this whole season pan out and not just get my and not get my story across. So that's why I'm doing this podcast. So that's her opening salvo, right? And yeah, that does make sense, but you never want to do a show for public consumption just out of a potential kind of thing of I'm worried about what's going to be put out there for me. So I'm taking control of my narrative, especially when it's about this. Like I understand it. I just think, I just hope this is the right time. She, and then she introduces us to the team. That's why I'm doing this podcast. I'm in her, in a room with a bunch of awesome women. These are my iHeart family members who have really taken me in and shown me that it's okay to speak up and encourage me to really step back into this spotlight. And they really believe in me. So I'm grateful to have them here with me. This is our first episode with you and it almost didn't happen. It was really hard yesterday figuring out, at this out if this is the right thing for me to do. It was a tough day yesterday because I'm trying to decide like, is this the best decision for me? Going back um, to Vanderpump Rules was very diff difficult for me. And I've realized that I'm not, not necessarily cut out for reality TV. I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot of strategy going on with reality TV and things aren't always, always the way they seem. And then she says, sorry, I'm nervous. And they're like, that's okay. I'm very hesitant to come back into the entertainment industry. She says, there's another world where I close the door on the entertainment industry completely and go live my life in nature and to my yoga and Pilates and really focus on my therapy and mental health. <laughs> I listened to that sentence and I was like, yes, 
that's the one, that's the door, that's the path, take that path. And then she goes, but, and I'm like, no, I feel like there's also a world where I can speak my truth and I can get my story out there. And I, and I can also um, be doing my theory and Pilates and focusing on my mental health. And that's just where my priority lies right now. And she once again reminds us yesterday, I almost pulled the plug on this whole operation just because I'm really scared. I'm really nervous. I feel like it's a lot of responsibility for me to put out a podcast every single week while Vanderpump girl, I put out one every single day, man. I wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if Rachel gets to a point where she is, she's like releasing every day. She's like, fuck, I'm a content queen. Okay. Back to that one thing about like, I could go and do this, the yoga nature, all of that stuff. That sounds like a beautiful, like. I think I love this little life. Like it sounds nice, right? But there is this thing. And I think it with reality television in general, I think about anything where we put ourselves out there where it is public consumption. There is this part of us, myself included, where it is masturbatory in a way. It is this like, well, I think I want to be a part of this. I want to get my picture taken. I want people to hear me. I want, and there's this thing and it like really kind of, um, it kind of satiates the ego. You know, you're really, your ego is once again involved of like, I do want the spotlight because at the end of the day, Rachel has to admit she loved the spotlight. She then went over and was a part of a relationship with somebody that was already in a relationship because that person made her feel good about herself, filled the hole that she felt within herself, but she was still able to get attention. She was getting brand deals. She was starting to really come into her own on television. And that is so enticing. We as an audience see that all the time with Bravo celebrities or reality stars in general, when they start getting attention and it gets really exciting and people know them, people want to take pictures of them, Bravo con, all of that stuff. That's incredibly alluring. Fuck nature, right? Fuck nature. Fuck yoga. Like, I'd rather do all that shit. You telling me I can get 50% off at boutique shops? Hell yeah. Fuck, fuck hikes. Um, but I, I think overall that's a dangerous thing because, you know, within this first couple of minutes, she's already talking about, like, I'm so still confused. I didn't know if this is the right thing to do. And I think if it is not an absolute yes, then it should be a no sometimes. And I don't say, I don't mean I practice that myself. I mean, it just, when I hear it, it's always easier to, the word isn't diagnosed. It's always easier to talk to somebody else and say, okay, well, I think this is the right thing that you need to be doing. You know what I'm saying? I just hope at the end of the day that she can continue to do things for herself and not for an audience who gives a damn at the end of the day, what we think. Um, I mean, obviously it bothers me what people think it, it bothers anybody what people think, but I, hopefully she can get to a point where it truly doesn't matter if she knows who she is at this point. I mean, almost treat it like how she got to with Tom Sandoval. Cause we find out in the course of this, that, you know, she did cut off communication with him and she started thinking about him in a completely different way, kind of a healthier way and took control of that narrative instead of the narrative that he was trying to feed into um, and it seemed like there was a little bit of love bombing in there. It seemed like there was a lot of different things. Um, that, and this is the part of the story that I do find fascinating. But like I said, I'm just curious how long, um, how many episodes of this is it going to be fascinating, if that makes sense. Um, she also talks about the strategy of reality TV because reality TV, like I said, it has become a game of survivor in a lot of instances. You don't get 10 seasons into a show without being a survivor in some way because you have to suffer the slings and arrows of your castmates. 
you know, in normal life, you know, I mean, if, if you're lucky, people aren't, uh, you know, backstabbing, lying, stealing, all of these things. I mean, listen, watch Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. You know, in normal life, hopefully your friends aren't making complete burner accounts to make shit of your life completely. That would be ridiculous and kind of sociopathic. Um, so uh, she goes on. She's like, listen. She almost pulled out. She said, I have a plan with my therapist to process what we watched on Monday's episode for Tuesday. So she's talking about this will be a rewatch podcast. So she's going to watch on Mondays and then talk with her therapist and then potentially record on Tuesday is what I'm gathering from this. And then I have the, oh no, watch on Tuesdays, watch on Monday's episode. She's going to talk to the therapist on Tuesday and then she'll have the remaining days to come up with what she'll be talking about on her podcast. And that just seems like a lot of heavy lifting. And uh, for all the therapists out there, I, I should talk about this with um, your your favorite Bish uh, therapist uh, who uh, was on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. She's she's awesome. And I would love to know what she thinks about this, because I don't know if just picking at this scab is going to just be re-injuring. And you can tell she's worried about it as well. So a really, it does seem like that's a strong plan in place to go with a therapist, but I'm just like, man, is it worth all of that instead of just directly working on yourself without any of this? You know, I'd also love to be, you know, kind of just be completely honest and go, hey, also, I just need the money. Or, hey, listen, I worked hard to get to this point in terms of my pseudo celebrity, and I want to hang on to that. Um, I'm curious how much of that, if any, plays a part in this. She says, my intention is just to share my truth. Uh, what would you say? Uh, the, then one of their co-hosts asked, what would you say is the main reason you did not want to be a part of season 11? So this is where the co-hosts really do come in handy asking those questions so she can actually talk. Um, because if this was just her solo, I think she would have a way rougher go of it. And I heard a rumor and, you know, like I said, take this with a grain of salt. It's a rumor. I, I can't confirm this completely that she did record a test episode that they pretty much had to throw away. And, uh, I think also when you have to put it through therapists and all of these people, it kind of loses some of that initial magic of what you initially wanted to say. When you have too many cooks in a kitchen, even if it's like licensed therapists, that can sometimes ruin the listening experience at its core. I know I sound like potentially a psycho talking about this, but I take it really seriously. Okay. Um, she said, the main reason I didn't want to be a part of season 11 is because I don't want to be with Tom. And I made the decision to cut Tom out of my life. Going back to film the show, it would force me to interact with him, first of all. And I know I'm on the outskirts with all the other cast, so I wouldn't get my story across. I really believe that the girls wouldn't give me the time of day to let me open up to them, uh, given my previous history with my intera interactions with them. So because I would be on the outskirts with the cast, it would put me in the same boat as Tom. And Tom is away with his words. And I, I, I heard this. Tom has a way with his words. What? Pins and batteries, dude. I got to dip out. Yeah, that guy's a poet, man. He has a way with his words. I love that. I, But also, that's kind of a little peek into the window of their relationship, is that Rachel truly did think this man had a way with his words, that he was kind of a pseudo genius in a way. And you can kind of see of potentially how attractive that was to Mr. Tom Sandoval, of like, dude, 
This girl thinks everything I say is gold. Ariana just kind of like rolls her eyes sometimes. That's obviously alluring for Tom. It made him feel probably like kind of like a king at times. Um, so I thought that was interesting. But also my only pushback on this comment is, man, be a student of reality television. Because like, oh, I would be where Tom is going to be this season. Watch how this season goes. They're all going to break at one point with Tom in terms of letting him back in, except for Ariana. and. It probably would have been that way for you too. You're ta- like, I come on. We've even seen it on Vanderpump Rules. Let's just be honest. I know the cast will say, no, 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 no. There's no way, but come on. They all said that with Tom Sandoval too. It happens. We've seen it in other iterations. How many times did they let Jax back in the inner circle? How many times did this happen with all of the other characters? So I don't agree with this. And she might have felt it. And I I totally agree that in real life, most of the time you wouldn't be able to get back in. But this is reality television. But I do agree with her that it's a smart idea. Like if she is trying to keep Tom out of her life, yeah, probably not best to film. And she goes on to say, listen, I broke up with my ex-fiance. We had a no contact policy, but I still had to film with him. Wrap your head around that sentence. How wild that is that they that they had a no contact policy, yet they still filmed together. That's like canceling each other out completely. I mean, that is just a mind fuck of the utmost. Uh, I just I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine what that must be like on top of then having to deal with Tom on top of it. So, yeah, I can see that's a smart decision to not film with Tom. I just think that, yes, she would have gotten the cold shoulder so many times, but she was used to that on that show. All those girls remember in the first like half of the season of Vanderpump Rules. Remember with the galaxy light? Oh, my God. By the way, you guys, Juliana Carosa gave me a galaxy light for Christmas, and it is amazing for my Vanderpump Rules recaps. I'm going to bust it out. And I got to tell you, man, it's just, I looked up at the galaxy light, dude, and I just saw my future, dude. And it was like so cool, man. And I just put on super mute. I put on like classical music, like the beauty. And then I put on some like Pink Floyd, brother. It's so cool. Okay. So uh, she says, yeah, all this was going to happen. That's why she didn't come back. Uh, Tom has a way with his words and he would get back in my ear. And I, and I just know I'm not in the place where I'm completely strong enough to be able to resist that. It's really a smart thing to think that she knows that. And I bet that would be true because you are going to allow that person back in just like they would have allowed you back in at a certain point, not Tom, but the girls, she says, you know, I'm not the risk versus reward. Like it's too risky for me to go back, especially at the most vulnerable state I've ever been in in my life. So I couldn't. And then they asked, did you all consider going back? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Um, you know, going into treatment, right? I knew that Tom was not a healthy person for me. I'd become the worst version of myself through the seven months of, you know, secrecy and deception and going along with these lies that ate me up. And, you know, part that is my fault. So she accepts a little bit of blame right there. She says, I chose to put myself in that situation and it was a really bad choice and I'm suffering the consequences now. Right then and there again, she's, she's, she's admitting blame, taking blame, admitting fault and saying, this is why I'm at where I'm at now. Um, she says, but I was still in relation with Tom. We were talking on the phone almost every single day. So she went into therapy, but she was still talking to him every single day. And in those months that I was in there, I was debating whether or not to go back and do this show. And I bet you, I bet we find out that Tom was like, dude, you gotta come back, dude. We'll walk in there. United front, dude, like Romeo and Juliet, dude. And you'll be at all the band gigs, dude. Like you, I bet he was like doing that. I bet he was like saying, no, we, we, you've got to come back. 
And I bet she was close to coming back at times. Um, she says, uh, although I knew Tom was bad for me and he had violated me and got me into this position. Now, remember, I also want to remind people of something that always gets forgotten and then gets brought back up is the recording of Rachel, uh, in a, you know, sexual situation that, uh, allegedly Tom screen recorded of her doing something to herself. Uh, this was not during filming for Vanderpump rules. The producers have nothing to do with this. Vanderpump rules has nothing to do with this. This was Mr. Tom Sandoval. So I think that's what she means by violated me right there. Uh, she says, I was still talking to him and still making plans to see him after I got out of treatment. And remember she was sitting, sending those lightning bolt postcards to Tom and Ariana's house. Janet Elizabeth was on my show and said, yeah, she was there house sitting and she saw those postcards. We we've seen a picture of the postcards now. Um, she says, I knew my main focus needed to be on more on like, why am I doing this? And why do you think you're sort of connected or entangled or addicted to him? Oh, no, they ask, why do you think you're sort of connected or entangled or addicted to him? But I think also that's another really great thing that therapy is all about is really breaking down your own patterns. And she says, my main focus needs to be on more like, why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself in these situations? And that's the thing that therapy forces you to look at. And it's a really painful process or it can be. So like I said, I, my hat is off that it takes a lot of fucking courage. And you notice that Tom Sandoval did not do the same when I would imagine, you know, really some intensive therapy would, would, would knock this guy on his coal mining ass. He would probably get the world from it, but it would probably kind of disrupt his overall goals. And I think that is to stay in the spotlight, to never leave the spotlight, stay in the spotlight, keep your head down, stay in it. So like I said, fully support Rachel's decision. And I think it was a really brave one. Um, and I like, I, I want to say, I think from knowing Ariana a little bit, I am still really disgusted with Rachel's uh, actions. So, you know, listening to this, I was, I'm listening to it of like two minds of just like the, the normal casual uh, person that watches this show. And then a person that knows Ariana and, and just remember, you know, even though this all makes a lot of sense, it doesn't take away from the pain that Ariana felt. Remember she did scenes where Rachel was flat out lying to her face. You know, even when cameras were down, they were hanging out separately. They were like sharing Ubers together. They were going out to dinner together. This was all done. This was like a really, um, a really big planned deception. And that stuff really haunts you. And it seems like Ariana obviously is doing great, but I just want to remind the audience just because somebody's on dancing with the stars or somebody's on Broadway or somebody's making a lot of money with brand deals doesn't fucking like heal anything. It doesn't take away the pain that this was done with people that she trusts. I mean, are you going to tell me honestly that being on dancing with the stars makes all of this go away? That makes it okay for all of this full on seven months of deception to take place. Because then I would imagine with Ariana, you're then questioning, well, who else is doing this to me? You know, how many times was this done to me? What are the other times in Tom's past that he did do this to me that I still don't know about? So I just have to imagine, but I will say Ariana is one of the stronger people that I know. Um, and I don't really say that lightly. And uh, she's very steely in a way. And I think sometimes women can... Uh, that sometimes like people like, and especially women towards other women, they will shit on people that are steely and strong. 
It'll be like, oh, you know, it's like nobody, nobody's the perfect victim. We talk about that all the time. You're not going to find a perfect victim. We're all different people. So I, I always just love of people like, you know, judging her being a victim or shouldn't she be more broken up or shouldn't she take less? And that kind of conversation doesn't go really far with me because it just doesn't doesn't make sense when everybody else has their hand out every step of the way, every season of the show. Um, okay. So, uh, she says, it makes me feel like, uh, I've grown since then just going into a mental health facility for three months. I, you know, like I was very dedicated to my recovery and I'm aware, um, I'm aware of these things, uh, before, whereas before it was more like this subconscious decision making that I felt like I wasn't in control of my life. So I look back on that girl and I feel compassion for her because she was just trying to, just trying to live and watching season 10 back. I got really emotional because I saw how much I was drinking and how much I was numbing my anxiety and numbing my pain. I went through a breakup with my ex fiance, DJ James Kennedy, and we had a no contact policy, which was great, but we were work working together and filming together. And he brought his new girlfriend, Allie, who we met three weeks after I ended our engagement around and told me that she was the she's the love of my life Ali oh she's so beautiful and equine the, the her face is so beautiful and gorgeous I love Ali guys night oh my god just talking about Vanderpump rules and then realizing season 11 is January I oh mean we're fully in Vanderpump rules I'm gonna have to get back into this fully again oh okay um so she's finding out all this information. James has already moved on, said this is the new love of his life. And he says, it really made me feel like we what we had wasn't real. So I know I was grieving that relationship and I knew I wasn't ready for another committed relationship. And maybe that's part of the reason why I had this attraction to Tom, because I knew he wasn't emotionally available 100 percent for me. So that's kind of interesting. That's a really good little therapy figure out her where you figure that out in therapy. So uh, the lady goes, you kind of felt like you spiraled in a way after you met Allie and figured out that James was moving on so quickly. Right. And she's like, yeah, that was the first of it. And then the social situations I found myself in with the cast members encouraged me to drink even more. And I really needed a therapist in my life to help me like talk these things out. And instead I had Tom. What's up, dude? It's me, Tom. I'm your new therapist. Um, is this going to be a 50 minute session? I hope you, I hope I take your insurance. Um, but Tom, he was always there for me, she says. And so, and then she goes, oh, well, not really. And then they ask, what makes you think sort of, as you're describing it, that he was, and now looking back on it, what was really going on? And she says, yeah, good question. Um, I will say it is interesting that the questions that are good are coming from the host, but listen, Rachel, it's, you know, we're here to hear, hear her story. Um, I wonder if we will ever get to a point where Rachel interviews somebody. I don't know. Anyways, she says, it felt like he was always there for me because we would FaceTime literally all hours of the day, every single day. And he would come over to my apartment and we would just like kick it on my balcony and went about our filming experience. And we bonded over that unique situation of being on a reality TV show and the things that happen behind the scenes that aren't talked about. And, you know, viewers don't really know about that. Now, I think we know a little bit more than they even realize at this point, just because we dissect every fucking moment of these shows. Um, but I also think it would be interesting to talk to those people at R Rachel's studio apartment of like how often they did see Tom Sandoval there. Like, it seemed like he really was there quite a bit. Um, but she talks about being seen by him, heard by him. She felt validated. And it just seemed like he was always ready to drop anything to come see me. And they asked, do you think it was genuine? And she said, I thought it was. I thought it was. And then I think there's a part of him. Um, I, I think there's a part of him that it was a genuine, deep connection. 
I mean, only he can speak on that, really. But I think, and remember, he does speak on that. He's he was on the Twats pod with uh, Freddie and Tamra, and kind of went into like, oh, I was in love with her, dude. I was fully in love, and so he was going on that narrative, whether he truly believed that or not. And I'm sure a part of him did believe that. And also, it's probably easier to believe that in that moment because you did something so horrific that you probably didn't even realize was as horrific at the time until after you got caught, and then realize, holy shit, this truly is horrific. So if you're able to then say that you potentially fully still love this person and you want to stay with them, it kind of eases that thing of even your own self thinking you're a monster, if that makes sense. Um, so she says, uh, so he was there for me. Um, he's going to be able to speak on that more than I can. Uh, but I think there was also healing that he needed to do in order to be a more mature adult to handle his relationship because he was telling me that he wanted to break up with her and venting to me about that relationship, but then feeling stuck. And like, he would always tell me that he was actively like breaking up with her and going to couples therapy to break up with her. And I think I was just too patient with it. Now we know from the Howie Mandel interview and all of the other things and Ariana saying that it was, he wasn't actively trying to break up with her. He might've in his head, or he might've been trying to like kind of lay this, little breadcrumbs to lead up to this, but it never really came to fruition. And we saw that time and time again. Um, she says, I mean, if I could go back, I would do a million things over. But in this specific instance, I felt like I should have really just put my foot down and been like, okay, like you need to decide what you want because you're telling me one thing and your actions are speaking a different story and just like completely walk away. They said, did you ever consider telling Ariana anything that he told you about what was going on in the relationship and how he felt and everything. And she goes, yeah, it was definitely uncomfortable knowing that in the back of my mind and knowing that she didn't know the extent of it. But that interaction that you saw me to speak, speak to Ariana, one of the later episodes of season 10, where I was asking her about her sex life, because Tom was telling me that they weren't having sex and it wasn't existent. And I just was curious to know her side of the story. Like, was that true for her too? Or is he just telling me one thing like I wanted to know, like, is she really attracted to him or is she like, you know, more of a glorified roommate situation because that's what he was telling me. So I was trying to feel that out and it happened to play out on TV. So I see what it looks like. You know, I mean, obviously this is just our first episode. She's talking about the podcast. So we're just kind of going into it and we'll break down everything in the weeks go on. But like, how real was everything? They ask her and she's like, it, did it feel real? It felt very real. Okay. So she's talking about, I think one of the final episodes, if not the final episode before Scandal, where right after the something about her um, party, they go to, what are they at, Sir or Tom? They're at one of the places. And Rachel has that conversation with Ariana where Ariana's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? I'm so attracted to him. And kind of like blows up uh, Rachel's like kind of thought process of like, wait, what? Like Tom's been telling me this one thing and she's like saying she's fully into him. And you can see, you know, because Rachel, that was also the episode where she's out there trying to pick a fight with Katie uh, in the Sir Alleyway with Schwartz by those uh, propane tanks, which was very fitting. And Katie's like, get the fuck out of here. What are you doing? Why are you getting in my face? And you can just tell this is a person that is drinking a lot. And, you know, people are people are different types of drunks, you know, like sometimes it can just mean that they're talking more. They're more in your face. It might not mean they're slurring and tripping and things like that. But I can see that in Rachel if you watch it back. And, you know, from what I had heard from other people that she was a heavy drinker. 
And this was even before the Sandoval stuff came out. So I was like, okay, well, cool. You know, like she's in her twenties. Everybody kind of has that moment. I didn't really think much of it, but then in hearing the story kind of makes more sense because if your life is in this much disarray, you've got your ex fiance and then you're in this relationship and you're talking to Ariana, you're going to fucking drink a little bit. You're probably going to drink a lot to kind of quell the voices and the turmoil that is going on within yourself. Um, so she's like, uh, listen, it felt very real, but as I look back on it now, knowing what I know now, it was a lot of living in this fantasy and falling in love with a future version of him where he wasn't with Ariana anymore. They said, how hard is it, is it for you to watch season 10? And she says, it's really difficult. It's really difficult. I'm only, well, yeah, well, I've seen every single episode, but it was very hard, especially the earlier episodes. I could see how much pain I was in. And then the later episodes, it was just like so cringy with like the lightning bolt necklace purchase and the talk with Ariana and just the interactions that I would have just going. It would just be like uh, it would be just going at a wall and just putting it all out there without thinking, which was very unlike me. Um, and then they were like, well, that's what we were going to ask. Does it feel like you're watching yourself or is it like an out of body experience? And she's like, I feel like I'm watching myself, but like the worst version of myself. So it's not like I don't own that because that is a part of me. It's just a part that I've never, you know, like it was new. It was a new experience. And I think part of that too, I don't want to make excuses here either. I'm, you know, learning so much about myself. A lot of that had to do with always being a good girl and like doing as I'm told. I was always a rule follower. And once I aged out of pageants, uh oh. We got our first mention of pageants. Uh, and she says, I didn't have the ceiling over me anymore. Um, I just kind of like went wild. And just also I was coming out of my people pleasing area era because there was a lot of pleasing with DJ James Kennedy, especially in that relationship and a lot of holding myself back with my drinking so that he wouldn't be tempted to drink and a lot of monitoring my own behaviors to benefit our relationship, which I realize now is codependency. I mean, this is really kind of interesting in terms of it's like, um, you know, an idiot's guide to therapy. And I don't mean it's just like those books, like an idiot's guide to this. And it is like, this is like some really basic therapy, but it seems like she's learning it for the first time. And I think it's kind of amazing and also encouraging for people out there. Uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm really not celebrating Rachel in any sort of way, but I do want to celebrate therapy. I do want to like give a shout out to that of like, this stuff is worth exploring. And it really did impress me. I mean, it is a little like hitting it, a nail on a head in terms of just how on the nose this is in terms of therapy speak, but it is really well worth your time to get involved in this kind of stuff to learn more about yourself and your interactions with others. Um, she says, uh, you know, James was my first real, real relationship. She met James when she was 21. And so, you know, now I'm 29 and all of those years have been on a reality show. So that pageants before that, I think it's important to acknowledge that also played a part. With the pageant life, the reason why I got into pageants was because I had such social anxiety where I wanted to overcome my fears of public speaking. And by the way, you know, isn't it funny at the end of the day that all of this mess is probably going to help her more with public speaking than the reality show, the actual seasons where she talked about wanting to learn to give a good speech. She's finally going to learn how to do public speaking through podcasting. Isn't that wild? Isn't the world funny the way it works? Um, but she said, uh, you know, just trying to get out of her comfort zone. Um, I would 
never have thought she was just saying everything was constrained, monitored just in my own mind, like my own expectations of what I thought I should be. And once I let that go, it was like, I don't give an F anymore. I'm going to do what I want. And I'm not here to please other people. I'm here to please myself. I think that's sometimes a dangerous way to look too, because I think you have to then admit that we live in a world with other people. So where it's good that you're like, you know, I'm number one at the same time, that's not realistic. And sometimes the best part of this world is our interactions with other people. And you can't go into every interaction thinking that you are the best and you are number one and fuck everybody else. That's just not how it works. You're not going to get the most out of life that way. I don't think in my own opinion, you'll probably end up being a billionaire, but who wants to do that? You know, she talks about being insecure her own life, uh, her whole life. She was always the tallest one in her class, just awkward, lanky, didn't really feel good in her own skin. Um, at the age of seven, she changed her name to Raquel. We knew that already. Um, and you know, obviously this leads up to the person that she was, uh, let's see here. Uh, she says, and it sucks because I was at the stage in my life before the scandal and before the experience with Tom and the show and everything, all these things got out of hand. And now I feel like because it had been, you know, become such a talked about scandal, it kind of put me back in the same position, you know, because I'm definitely in a different place, but it's the same feeling of, oh, I can't let people in. And I'm also like walking around thinking, oh, does that person, you know, do they recognize me? Do they have like, what do they think of me? Are they judging me right now? And those are things that I'm working on uh, to overcome. And they said, well, what are people saying? You know, have you, as you've started to reenter the world, um, you know, and uh, they said, we brought you to a few things. We took you to Jingle Ball with us. What do people say to you? And she said, well, people who recognize me are usually happy to see me. And they would usually ask for a photo. And it's been really lovely. Um she said she met somebody in Chicago actually. And they said, I just really condone what you're doing and how you're speaking out about your mental health. Sorry. And that's a really tough conversation to have. And I guess if we were to take anything positive about that, that's what it is to actually talk about mental health and, you know, getting help. I think that is the overall positive message. If we were to take something positive out of this, that would be it. Um, so then they ask about the Dave Portnoy situation. Now, Dave Portnoy, the, uh, the, the, the evil overlord of Barstool Sports, there was a rumor that she had hooked up with Dave Portnoy. And then Dave Portnoy came out and was like, I would never hook up with that trash bag, like made an immediate statement. But she talks about that situation. And this is where it's good that we have these other hosts to ask about these important things that people actually kind of want to know. And she's like, no, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. I've heard of Barstool Sports, but I've never heard of Dave Portnoy. And it's kind of wild how that story came out. Um, she said, I was in Chicago visiting my friends. These are friends that I met at my treatment center. Um, I mean, that is wild, too, that Rachel's out there visiting friends in Chicago from a treatment center. Like, that is like a whole different life. But she's like really putting herself out there. Anyways, she's like my recovery friends. And I guess I was spotted at a coffee shop and I took a few photos with a few people. And of course, people were speculating and people were saying, oh, well, Dave Portnoy was in Chicago the same weekend that Raquel was. And it was Halloween weekend. And she's like, you're thinking. And she's like, you guys, like you're thinking way too much into it. But of course, like the only rational thing is that Dave Portnoy and I are dating. And that's why he and his girlfriend broke up. And she's like, yeah. And they're like, well, I want to read what he said uh, because I'm curious how this makes you feel. Now, Bethany did this too of reading bad things about Rachel from the reunion to her face. Um, but they read what he said. He said, I can confirm I've never met that trash bag in my life. It's wildly insulting to even be mentioned in the same sentence as her. Um, and she said, well, you know, I've learned a lot about projection and I think he doesn't know me at all. That's a really brilliant response. 
It really is. It's a very therapy response, but brilliant. Just throwing it back projection. He doesn't know me at all. Whatever story he's made up in his mind is just on him. And also I know that there was a lot of misinformation about me out there too. And I think the reason why he's so polarized to me is because he believes a lie that was put out there. Um, well, I don't think so. I mean, I think you actually did do something wrong and we really kind of were disgusted with what you did. Like we were disgusted with Sandoval. So it's, you know, I mean, I do understand why certain people would think of you as a trash bag. Um, I don't know what lie that you think that is based off of, but we're going by the actual situation and kind of how devious it was. That's what I think. But, uh, she's, you know, kind of digging herself out of that hole right now with all of this. Um, so she said, uh, you know, they asked, do you think you're able to handle what happened and what was said better now than a year ago? And this is where she talks about, yeah, you know, uh, she knows she's not a trash bag. So if he's saying I'm a trash bag, it's fine. It's just like rolling off my shoulder because it's not, you know, and they're like, well, what would you like to say to him if he was sitting right here? What would you say? And she's like, I don't know. I'm such an avoidant person. I'm like, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be in the same room as him, honestly, which isn't a question I would like to ask her as well is that when she goes to these jingle balls, she's saying she's having all these good experiences, but honestly, like, are you scared for the day when Tom Sandoval, you do see him? Are you scared for the day when you see people that it's a bad day for them and they see you and you're like, fuck you. I can't believe you did what you did. And I had to watch a whole season of television about this. Like, you know, are you scared about those, those, those times as well of what people might say about you? Is that still you know, an issue that pops up in your head, or have you beaten that completely? I don't think you can ever beat that completely. Uh, they ask her, do you feel betrayed by a lot of people? And she's like, yeah, I do. I do. It's hard, but it's like, I betrayed people too. So I don't know. It's like difficult reality to accept. Um, they're like, do you feel that you deserve to be betrayed or mistreated? And she's like, I don't know if I'm necessarily deserved to be betrayed. I have really gained a huge appreciation for the friends who have stuck by me through this tough time and haven't spoken publicly, voicing their opinions and sharing personal stories. And she says, it's my eyes are open to who my true friends are because going forward, like this is my whole motto is to attract positive people into my life, to create really strong friendships that have true intimacy and develop those. That really does seem like a therapy, like mission statement, which is great. Um, she said it narrowed down my group of people. Yeah, I would imagine it narrowed it down quite a bit. And that's why I think kind of getting into this whole thing, you're sometimes not going to attract the best people doing things like this. I, I don't want to shit on podcasting or, or the limelight or anything like that, but it does bring a lot of CD people and CD situations into your life. It just does. Um, but, uh, yeah. So anyways, she talks about this person was her friend that put this TikTok out about Dave Portnoy. And that really, she was like, man, you could have just reached out to me instead of doing this video. She says, there are a few people that I do speak to occasionally and that have expressed that they miss me so much and they haven't spoken out publicly, like bashing me or anything, but I have these walls up and I know that Vanderpump rules. I mean, the scandal got so out of hand that it became so sensationalized and the ratings were so high. So I know that they were digging and digging for any information that they could get from any of the cast members. So I protected myself and had to take a step back and I've expressed that to these friends and I made it clear to them. Once you're out of that world, then, you know, we can have these intimate conversations. So she's basically saying anybody in that Vanderpump universe, that circle, she will potentially not be having kind of deep, intimate conversations about the situation with. And I will say, you know, the Vanderpump, the Vanderpump economy, which I talk about, you know, the people that surround them, even not, you know, not the people even on the show, but the people that are just in their lives, you do get a lot of information from like you just do. And it's really, you know, I remember being a part of that and getting information from a lot of people, information that I didn't even share with you guys. I shared a lot, but I mean, there was a lot of stuff that I was like, Oh, that I'm not going to share that. I'm not going to share that. I was always really careful about stuff like that. Um, 
but I think that's a good way to go. But I think it's hard because we really tend to put people on television on a pedestal and really value anything that they do or say a lot more than we value what we do or say in our ordinary normal lives. And I think that's a conversation that should be had at a certain point. You know, it's really wild that we do that. I do realize as I'm almost at the length of this entire podcast in my recap of this podcast, and I still have over, you know, probably 30% of this podcast left to recap. I'm truly insane. (laughs) That's so (laughs) <laughs> but oh man the tangled web in which we weave so uh she's talking about trying to decide if she was coming back or not but then she started to realize that you know the thing is there's always going to be drama there's always has to be a villain and because she took herself out of that equation she's interested to see who they choose as a villain this year and i'm kind of interested in that as well because tom is going to be the obvious choice but Will it stay that way the entire season? So, I mean, the show and all kind of reality shows, you do need a villain, right? I mean, is there been a series or a season of reality television where you don't have a villain at some point? And if you don't have a villain on these shows, are they shows that you remember? So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if Tom is that villain, if there are going to be other villains. Is Schwartz a villain at times? Is that going to happen with Katie? And especially when we find out what the deal with is with him making out with Sheena in Vegas or whoever the F it was. Um, anyway, so she was thinking about that in terms of reality television. Um, they said, do you ever think about not watching at all? And she's like, yeah, I think in my treatment facility, when I finally decided I'm not going to back going back to do the show, or ultimately I was being swayed in that direction when we're going over my triggers and basically you want to avoid the things that trigger you. And then you want to focus on the things that bring you joy and watching an episode of Vanderpump rules would be a trigger for me. And that's what I'm saying. Once again, the overarching thing of me talking about this is that I don't know if this is healthy. This is automatically a trigger. Now for me watching an episode of Vanderpump rules, that brings me joy. Like that honestly brings me joy, but for her, it's a trigger. So she's putting herself in that lion's mouth again and again and again. Um, she says, I feel like I'm still in it. Like I'm not on that show anymore, but I'm still in the midst of the chaos and the drama. And now that I'm doing a podcast, I guess I'm really, we have to watch, but maybe they said, do you think there's a chance that watching it will make you feel good about this decision to leave? And she said, I think so. I suspect. So I'm also curious. So obviously that's what the thesis statement of this podcast is, is kind of watch Rachel's journey. I just get nervous if she doesn't feel good about it. If it goes the other way, we're going to have to listen to that journey as well. And I think that's just really dangerous to do to your mental health when you've spent six months um, or more, three months in a facility trying to work on just that. Um, uh, And I, by the way, Rachel, if you're listening or any of your podcast producers, have your therapist on. They have therapists on reality television all the time. It's obvious guest is having your therapist on to talk about this, to talk about the conversations that you had, the worries that you had for Rachel in this situation. Now we get to the gram of it all. They said... She says, I want to do the podcast to talk things about the Graham situation. Now, Graham was DJ James Kennedy and Rachel's dog. Now, remember, DJ James Kennedy and Allie have the dog now, and the dog is being renamed Hippie. Now, we still don't know what that is exact that exact story is until now. 
And she says, listen, I got him the same day James and I got our apartment in LA. So we raised him together. Graham's a big personality. He's got big dog energy and a little dog body. And he's feisty. He's fun. He's sporty. Um, but there's also a side of him where he gets possessive of his objects like bones or balls or anything that he shouldn't be having, and he'll switch into attack mode, which is kind of like what we've seen of DJ James Kennedy at times, if I'm going to throw that comparison out there, and I think I just did. Um, she says, I'm hesitant to say even this because I don't want you know anything out there that's gonna she's kind of hesitant about this my intentions aren't to bring somebody down but i feel like it's an important piece in the puzzle so i think who she's referring to is dj james kennedy the truth of the matter is james was not a good dog owner and the way that james would taunt graham and he would just antagonize him he would kick graham off the couch when he was sleeping and not expecting it so that would shock him he would encourage graham to bite his hands and would really reinforce the biting behavior with graham and the moments where he did drink too much and he was unhinged and yelling graham would hide under the couch and dogs pick up on that kind of energy, so I'm sure that played a part in his behavior. I would do my best to stop James from torturing Graham, but I from tormenting Graham, but I feel myself nagging him, and my mom used to nag when I grew up, and I don't want to be like my mom, which is a kind of an interesting piece of information, too. Is your mom still nagging you, Rachel? Like That was a little bit of an interesting kind of throwaway line that I, I was curious about. She said, so I would like nag and nag, and then I would stop, but I would express to him that this is really bothering me, but I put him in training. And I was like, who, DJ James Kennedy or the dog? But I think the dog. We did agility together and I had him in special socialization training after James and I broke up. And remember, Graham had a storyline when he got a puncture wound in his neck, which I'm still so curious about where we saw DJ James Kennedy crying like, oh, he's so he's got a punctured neck, which is so sad when any of our animals get hurt. It really is. The waterworks just start flowing. Also, I do want to point out DJ James Kennedy, obviously, in a reaction to this episode, posted Instagram stories today of him walking, uh, walking Graham, a.k.a. Hippie, and having him play fetch, sit, lay down and showing that he is a good dog owner, that Hippie is well behaved. So that was all up on his Instagram. He probably still is up there if you want to go check it out. So who knows? Maybe DJ James Kennedy has completely you know, it's completely different now. Maybe he's taking things seriously. Maybe it's like not drinking. I, who knows? Um, anyways, she was in the meadows in the treatment facility. And one day she gets a phone call from her mom and she was in a panic. And she said she was on her way to the emergency room because Graham bit her and she had a gash on the finger. The doctor couldn't even sew it up because it was just a huge thing of skin completely out of her hand. Um, so she had the really difficult decision to make to leave the meadows and take care of her dog or stay and extend her stay because she knew she still had more work to do that needed to be done uh, because she was still at that point talking to Tom every single day. So her family found a breed specific golden doodle rescue in Southern California and her dad drove him over there and my mom had the trainer's phone number and they promised to keep the rescue adoption situation under wraps because she was a public figure. She said her mom made it very, very clear. She didn't say who she was, but she said that the person that this dog's owner originally was has been in the media lately, and we wanted to keep it confidential. So uh, Graham uh, got adopted out to a new owner. Now, the owner returned Graham three days later because Graham bit the new owner, and then they needed more money for a new trainer because the trainer that was working with him didn't want to work with Graham anymore. Man, this is wild. And so they scanned his microchip and saw that it was registered to her. And they decided to then contact Vanderpump Dogs, the the owner, the I mean the the people that Graham was with at the time. And so Lisa Vanderpump, Nick Lane, I got a call from Vanderpump Dogs about a little Graham. Um, they notified her that a Golden Doodle Rescue Graham Cracker, and she was like, "Oh 
oh, I, I think they're asking for a donation, but I'll just adopt Graham Cracker instead. So Lisa Vanderpump adopts him and then, you know, doesn't tell Rachel or anybody, keeps it a secret. And she goes, because we all know, like her first priority is a storyline. Sick burn right there from Rachel. And then they ask, well, how did you find out? And she's like, okay, so I found out I was one week after my 90 day stay at the facility. I was out. Basically, we were trying to come to an agreement in negotiations to get her back on Vanderpump Rules. She was still in play to come back to Vanderpump Rules. So this is what this is interesting information still in play. They were really trying to get her to sign up for the cast trip in Lake Tahoe. Now, if you remember that, we saw so many pictures and this is when we saw Graham Cracker first was in those Lake Tahoe pictures. They were trying to get Rachel to make her first appearance then because Lisa Vanderpump's opening a new restaurant in Tahoe. Ultimately, um, she said she couldn't do it physically. She physically couldn't go back because it wouldn't, um, uh, you know, she said she couldn't go back. And so they said, fine, it's over. And then the next week, my mom and I are sitting on the bed. We're looking at Instagram and it was a fan that posted Graham and, uh, posted Graham in Lake Tahoe. And I was like, my heart sank. And I was like, mom, there's no way that Graham would be back on the show. Right. I love that. She's not on the show. And she's like, did Graham have contract negotiations? How much is Graham getting paid this season? She said that if she can't rehome, like, so that is Graham on the season. Uh, sorry, is Graham on the show? And they said, no, that wouldn't make sense. And she's like, let me call the trainer and let me call the foster. And the foster said, oh, isn't it great? Lisa Manderpump adopted Graham. She said that if she can't rehome him, that she'll, he'll live, he'll live out the rest of his days on her ranch. And my mom and her are like, ranch? She's not having a ranch. I love Lisa. She'll come live on Lisa Vanderpump's ranch where all animals uh, have a peaceful existence as they go to their maker. That's where we keep kin. Did you know I'm kept on a ranch with other animals like Graham Cracker to live out my days? I can't believe that. So, so Graham is back on the show, but she finds out in this way there's a couple things that concern me right here. Uh, you know, she takes mention of like kind of ignoring and trying to block out these things that are going to trigger her. But at the same time, she makes a couple mentions during this hour of uh, being very aware of what people are posting online. And so I think that's kind of interesting. Like, which one is it? Are you actually trying to protect yourself from triggers or are you constantly on Instagram looking at memes about yourself and looking at Vanderpump rules information? Because you got to be looking for it to actually find something about Graham going up to Lake Lake Tahoe to film with the Vanderpump rules kids. You got to be actually looking for that information. And that kind of worries me. And the fact that she was doing it with her mom and we do know her mom is kind of engaged with a couple of, you know, Bravo influencer types. I think that's kind of potentially triggering behavior as well. I thought that was a little bit of an interesting point uh, that she was talking about right there. Um, But she said, listen, they have Graham. Graham's back on the show and they're filming with Graham, which I know sounds crazy. Uh, but she said, I surrendered all rights to Graham, which I gave him to the rescue to be rehomed with a good family who's experienced with dogs who have aggressive behavior. And Lisa goes and adopts him, takes him to Lake Tahoe and surprises James with Graham saying, James. And she's like, oh, I can't even imagine what she said. But basically the story that they put out there is Lisa told everyone, uh, Rachel surrendered her dog at a kill shelter and he was hours away from being euthanized. Nick Lane. Um, So that was what was in the press at first. And that's what we heard as well. And that's the story that Lisa gave James. So you can only imagine that DJ James Kennedy is like, oh, fucking bitch. I fucking, oh, I can't believe this. I'm going to, oh, tough titties. I can't believe you. I can just see him freaking out. We can all see that. We saw those. And then immediately, like, what, it was like a day or two later where DJ James Kennedy is like, you know, you have a home now. Kind of like, 
um, chunk in the Goonies does to Sloth, that one-eyed, like the cone-headed monster guy. Like he's like, "You're gonna live with me now." DJ James Kennedy made this beautiful post, and we were all like, "Oh, that's beautiful." But this is the actuality of that story. Now she did surrender her rights, and I do think. I would be curious to get a little more in depth if this was what this podcast is about in depth about that decision. Cause that's a really, really brutal decision to have to make. And you're prioritizing your mental health there, but you're not prioritizing your mental health here in certain ways, which then overall leads me to believe why are you doing this? And is it financial? And it's okay if it is, obviously I doesn't matter what I happen think, but that's the thing. Like you're having to make these tough decisions about your dog to protect your own mental health and stay in the facility. But you, you guys know what I'm saying or what I'm getting at? That's the thing that kind of keeps popping into my head about this. And I just can't imagine I'm a dog lover. You, a lot of you guys listening are dog lovers. And I got to imagine that's a horrendous decision. And I just, I mean, if a dog is, you know, biting and things like that, you know, it's, it's, it just seems like the worst possible place to be in and a really hard decision to make. And I'm curious at the end of the day, if this was the right decision, um, and she talks about this cause she doesn't know how they're going to paint it on the show. And it kind of undercuts it because they are going to point paint it with Lisa saying this story. And they're probably going to have to now potentially go and re-edit something about this. Um, but she says, obviously the goal is to get a reaction, right? And James is a very reactive person. So I only imagine what his thought process was. And then it's like to drop this dog on and not even like console your girlfriend to see like what, you know, like it was very like spur of the moment. And to think about it, I was only a week out of my treatment and their whole plan was to get me to Tahoe so they could drop this bomb on me. Crazy. I told Lisa, if you, oh, they said, did you speak to Lisa? And she said, yeah, I texted her saying, I don't support Graham being with James. He needs to be with an owner who knows how to work with troubled dogs. And I won't go into the specifics of why I don't think James is a worthy dog owner. There's a lot of secrecy when it comes to talking about DJ James Kennedy. Do you know that? Not just with Rachel, with a lot of people, Kristen Doty, a lot. There's a lot of secrecy in talking about DJ James Kennedy. I think that's very interesting. Now, DJ James Kennedy, as she talks later on the podcast, is kind of going to be the number one guy in the group just out of process of elimination at this point. He's the only one that didn't cheat on his partner last year. You know, and and uh, I think that's interesting, but it, it is interesting. There's a lot of things when it comes to DJ James Kennedy are spoken in hushed tones or like, oh, we can't talk about this or I want to be delicate when I talk about this. And I'm more I'm curious about what all that you hear from Dodie all the time, too. What is that all about? Um, and I'm not saying that people can't change. I'm not saying that maybe DJ James Kennedy right now is the best that he ever has been. He's one of my favorite characters on the show, if I'm honest. Um, but anyways, Lisa called Rachel and ex she expressed her thoughts to her. But her, her concerns more lied with her coming back to the, do the show. And she's like, well, darling, why don't you just come to Villa Rosa and bring me some flowers and explain why you left Sir so abruptly without notice and apologize. And then you can explain your side of the story, my dear girl. And Rachel was like, it was like, wait. And I almost, you know, I almost did it. But then because uh, I did want to explain my side of the story. Um She's like, this is my child that's being drawn into this mix now. And I feel like that they were almost using Graham as bait. And Lisa is a very crafty individual. She's a very strong business person. Um, she says, perhaps I don't know, but it definitely had been a thought that had crossed my mind trying to get me to come back and explain myself. But I realized that if I were to explain the real story, they wouldn't air it. And that's another kind of like, what do you mean the real story? They wouldn't air it. Does that mean something about DJ James Kennedy? Um, so they said, oh my God, we're almost one hour into this podcast and we haven't even talked about the Sandoval stuff yet. Um, they talked about the uh, number one guy in the group. They talked about editing reality television. 
uh, how you would edit something down as a long story into a three minute scene. Um, so then they're like, okay, speaking of Tom Sandoval, we wanted to play for you again with your permission. Some of the things Tom recently said on another podcast and it was uh, Freddie Mellencamp and Tamara. And they asked, do you miss her, Tom? And he's like, yes, of course I do. We were best friends, dude. Um, and they're like, you have no relationship whatsoever. And he's like, yeah, it's heartbreaking to go through, dude. And um, so then uh, they're, they're like, oh, see, that's the part I believe she was just the excuse. I thought she was the excuse. It's not just some hot girl. Like, come on. And he was like, no, dude, come on, dude. I was a model for like 15 years. It's deeper than that. It's more than that. Like the arrogance of it all. I was a model. I was a model for 14 years. And uh, all the girls in this podcast are like, what is he talking about? And there, and Rachel goes, honestly, I kind of zoned that one out because I've listened to this podcast interview maybe like five times now. I sent it to my therapist. And when I just heard that little snippet on Instagram, someone was promoting and I heard what he was saying just in that snippet. And I was like, oh, I feel sick, like funny. And they were like, oh, funny sick or actually like sick, sick. And she said, sick, sick. And she's like, I've never had this physical reaction before, but I felt like I was going to throw up. Like maybe his voice repulsed me. And I'm like, okay, this is a good sign. Like hearing him say that he missed you, they said, it doesn't bring up any feelings. And she goes, no, because, well, it's a complicated question because there is this part of me that wants to believe in the fantasy. And I miss that. Um, but she says we have to live in reality. Now, a lot of interesting things here, but once again, the fact that she said she listened to this podcast, the Twats podcast with Freddie and Tamara five times and then sent it to her therapist, man, this therapist is making a lot of money doing things that I just do for free. Um, I just wonder, I mean, is this called exposure therapy? What do you, like, I, I feel like she's almost, it feels like there's an obsession with tracking everything in regards to this story. And at a certain point, I, I, I think she needs to get away from it. Um, I could be wrong in that aspect, um, but it just feels like she's, I don't know. Maybe that's a part of this whole process for her is just to super pay attention to everything. I just, I don't know. You, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, she thinks it's a good sign that she was repulsed by his voice. And, um, the, you know, and I liked what she said about living in reality. And she said, he misses all the benefits of our relationship without actually being in a relationship and also having a committed relationship. So yeah, Tom misses this and can wax poetic about it, but he doesn't have to actually do anything in this relationship. He doesn't have to work for this relationship. So he's missing this fantasy relationship, which they were both living in. And they said, does it feel vindicating that he's publicly saying um, all that he's publicly saying? And she's like, no. And I know that he was kind of like playing the defensive because I'm coming out with my own podcast and he's afraid of what I'm going to say. So we know that he's like really trying to milk the victim role to make himself look better. And I think that was very astute is that Tom is out there really kind of pumping what he believes to be true, or maybe even that he doesn't believe it to be true, but he just wants to get it out there. She says, but in reality, I think it's making him look worse. I mean, that's what I mean. I've been reading. Normally I'm staying away from all this stuff like this one, but this one got me. And I'm like, it feels like you're not staying away from any of this stuff. Um, they said, why does this st stand out? I'm just curious compared to all the other stuff he said and has done about you, this one, why did it stand out? And she said, it stood out because it seemed like he really did flip on me. He really threw me under the bus and he was okay with it. And it seemed like he was doing a lot of victim blaming and not taking accountability and owning it and maybe standing up for me a little bit. He could have like, if you really did love me and care about me the way you say you did, I think he would probably not say something like that. Um, I also get, he said that you made the first move. Is that true? So now they ask her, he said, you made the first move. Is that true? And he's, she's like, okay, we can get into it. She, and, uh, she's like, I can tell you the story. And they're like, yeah, we're happy to hear the story. 
She said, okay, so I think it was like a day or two after Guys Night. Guys Night! Remember at the Mondrian, DJ James Kennedy? Um, she said, which was a day or two after the girls' trip in Vegas, which is all on the show. Um, this is episode three or four or something like that, she says. I'm basically, I'm filming a scene at Sir with Lisa. I'm telling her how I'm standing up for myself and I'm not allowing these girls to pick on me anymore. I'm not going to let them bully me and I'm coming into my own. He knew that I was at Sir filming, Tom, and so he came by Sir. He got me a drink at the bar, my special drink that I like with the strawberries, uh, which is very Tom because he's very like, oh, I want to get like, he's like that with everybody. Like, let me make you a drink. Let me get you a drink. Um, so that to me wasn't weird. And then they're like, oh, let's go to Beaches, which is like right next door to Tom Tom with the group afterwards, which is on the corner from Sir in West Hollywood. And before we left Sir, we had a little conversation on the patio, just the two of us. And they were like, were you best friends at this point? And she said, at this point, not really. I'm actually, you know, and they're like, were you attracted to him? And she's like, well, you know, we were like, people can grow on you. And then I think I was starting to feel a certain way. And the tension he would get, the attention he would give me. And just like, you know, it just felt like digging into love bombing, but we shall, sorry, it's a little sloppy here. Um, he was like, okay, let's not go to beaches. Let's go to the Abbey instead. And I'm like, okay, so we go get a drink at the Abbey. And I was like, do you need a ride home? And he was like, yeah. So she drives him home, which is like, my God, these guys are probably pounding drinks. She's driving home. We get to the house and, uh, he doesn't have his keys and they want to go in for a nightcap and they go in the backyard. Uh, Ariana's asleep upstairs. So in, they're in the back. This is actually when I did my interview with Tom, we, after we hung out by the fire pit area, he told me this whole story about how it like took forever with like, um, permits to actually build this fire pit the way he wanted it. Like it was a very specific way, but it really is a very cool backyard. So he's got the fire pit going. They're drinking by the pool. They're talking. Ariana's asleep up, like just right upstairs. They're talking. They got the fire pit going. They're chatting. And he says, do you, do you know what the best thing about the pool is? And she was like, I was like, what? And he's like, it's heated, dude. And she was like, should we go in? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Uh, and she was like, well, do you have towels? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, gets towels from the side of the house. And then she goes in, she takes her jeans off. She had her corset top top on and she was in her underwear and she went in the pool. It was heated. So that's solves that mystery. And he wore just his boxers and they're like, oh my God, thank God. So then they're swimming around at the shallow side of the pool. And then he's swimming around in the deep end. And she's like, I have little, like my phone playing music over there. And he was like, he came swimming over to me and he liked, he said, turn that down, dude. And she turned it down and then he looked at me a certain way. And then he grabbed me, spun me and kissed me. And I was like surprised, but like happy. And she's like, oh my God, it's so embarrassing recounting this story. Um, and they're like, oh, many people have been in the story. You're not the only person that's ever been in this situation, which we'll dig into in a future episode. Um, I think what's blowing my mind too is like all this is happening. There aren't cameras. So this show, this is very real. Like these relationships I know are real. And I think, you know, there's this part two. And I think maybe the fans were disappointed about because they didn't get to see this play out in real time. Um, and they're like, well, they can listen to this podcast here. And she goes, I knew, I mean, I knew it was wrong. Tom knew it was wrong because he, he's not, he got caught up in the moment, right? Well, yeah, but you know, Tom kissed her. He like sat on the stair of the pool one step and he was like his hands on his face and his mind must've been running a million miles a minute. She said like contemplating what to do. And I was like, you know, like, should I go? And so she got her towel, she dried off, she got her pants on and he was like, no, 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 dude, 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 just sit down, sit down. So they moved to the fire pit, a couch that by the fire pit like that they hung out on. 
And he said, I just need to think for a second. And, uh, he was like, okay, well, I feel weird sitting here. And then Rachel's like, should we like go sit and talk about this in my car? And he was like, yeah, dude. So they go to her car and they're like, what happened there? Did you hook up? And she's like, yeah, they did everything. You guys, she said it was very, it was very bad. Um, I think he's just trying to spin the narrative, um, get it even just sort of out there for innocent bystanders. But she said, it's blurry. Um, he said, and they're like, yeah, nobody's right. Nobody's wrong in who made the first move. But yeah, that night they went to her car and then fully bone zoned in the car. And Ariana is asleep right up front. And part of me wonders, did he really lose his keys that night? Or was this part of like a whole seduction by Tom? Um, who knows anyways, but she said, you know, it, it kind of felt like romantic. She felt swept off her feet. She felt so infatuated and like loved. And then it was like, oh no, now I'm hanging out with Ariana and a group of people. Now this is like, you know, after this event and the cameras are there and I just kept drinking more because I'm feeling uncomfortable. And it got to the point where one of her friends took her aside at Schwartz and Sandy's and was like, Hey, I know you, what's going on with you? Tell me. And she's like, you know, I can't tell you now, but call me tomorrow. And then the person called her tomorrow and she's like, Oh, I was really hoping you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't, uh, have remembered our conversation. And she told this person what was going on. She told this person what was going on. She was making excuses for her weird behavior with everybody and everything. But this person, she told it to. And they said, uh, he's like, I just feel like she said, listen, this is not good. This is this is not good. You, you, What about Ariana? And I was like, I know this is why I'm like drinking. And like he's like, I do not condone. He said he I do not condone this behavior at all. Like, I don't stand by this, but I want to be a friend for you. But I don't agree with this. And I think you need to end things. And I was like, you're right. It's like, OK, noted. Thank you for listening and not being judgmental and being there for me. And so, you know, I knew I needed to end it and I would try to end it, but then he would always find a way to get back in my life, Tom. So the thing is, who is this mystery person? And there's a couple guesses I have, like, you know, it could be Brett Kenyon. I know they were good friends. I mean, it could be Jesse Montana. I know they were good friends. I don't think it would be Logan because Logan is Ariana's BFF. And I think Logan would have you know, immediately went to Ariana. So I think Logan is out of discussion there, but he does say a guy, it probably is not even though it could be the greeter at Schwartz and Sandy's who I know they're close as well. I'm forgetting his name, but I'm curious who this person is and if that will ever come out. Um, so, uh, you know, she thanked her friend and said she was going to try to work on this. Um, but they wanted all of this stuff to be on camera when it's on a reality show. And, so Schwartz was kind of a convenient cover up in a way. And we'll get into Schwartz in uh, another episode and love bombing in another episode. But she kind of admits here that Schwartz really was a diversion that they had planned. I think they both had planned it, even though Rachel just says her right here. But we'll get into that. She says also the, the thing with the podcast is she can talk about these things when they're not filming because these are things that actually happen in her life. Now, it's a little trickier about talking about things that they did film because they sign a contract and you can't reveal corporate secrets in a sense. So that's where she feels this is going to be a little bit risky in the future. So she also says it feels really good to get these stories off her chest. And I know um, I would just be spinning around in circles if I remain quiet and get, and get my story across. So I thank you guys for listening. And part of the reason why I'm drawn to do a podcast and talk about these specific concepts of like when you put somebody on a pedestal and then there's a power imbalance and issues with codependency and molding yourself to shape someone else's perception of you and getting caught up in those very vulnerable personal things that I've experienced is because I know that there's other people out there that struggle with those things too. And I'm not the first person to be involved in a relationship that wasn't handled correctly. So my story is not unique and that's mine. And that mine's just broadcasted to a much larger 
group audience. So that's it. That's the first episode. And listen, I, um, uh, gosh, I still do not like Rachel. I still do not like what she did. Uh, team Ariana all the way, but I have to say you can tell where therapy really, um, has done her good. I think, you know, if I were just, you know, I think it's a mistake to do all of this in the long run. I think it's going to bring up more bad things. And I just hope she is really solid in her belief system right now where this is not going to throw her because a lot of things could be thrown at her or even worse, people could just all ignore all of this. It's not part of the conversation at all, which in some ways could be considered even worse for some people. And I just uh, am curious at the end of the day, besides getting her story out there, what are the other motives behind this? And it's going to be interesting. So Vanderpump Rules season 11, this is kind of the pre-party kickoff, if it were. Um, And, you know, listen, you might have listened or you might not have to listen at this point because I literally recapped the entire episode. But if you're out there struggling with any of these issues, I think she does make a point, you know, people go through these things. So it was interesting to hear her side of things and to hear her take responsibility for certain things. It doesn't excuse what she did, but it is interesting. And I will say it is more than we've ever gotten from Tom Sandoval up to this point, even though he has talked 80 billion more times than Rachel at this point. So that's it. Signing off for today for So Bad It's Good. What an episode. Two back-to-back, supersized episodes. I hope you have the best Tuesday ever, and I will talk to you on the next one. Bye, guys. So Bad It's Good is a Betches Media production. The show is hosted and produced by me, Ryan Bailey, with Meditza Lopez and Sandra Fryer. Additional support provided by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Steinberg. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Video promotion by Laura Valencia. Be sure to send us your emails at so bad it's good with Ryan Bailey at gmail.com and follow the show at so bad it's good with Ryan Bailey on Instagram. And for additional craziness, go to patreon.com forward slash so bad it's good. Stay bad, baddies. Betches.